Uh, I don't want to say hope because hope is not a strategy, but there is good reason to believe that we may come down precipitously even in the early to mid part of February. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, um, thanks, and hopefully everyone had a safe and restful holiday period. It's been about two weeks since we did our podcast. A lot has happened um, in the world in terms of uh, new data, new science. Uh, why don't you just try to quickly uh, give us a, a bit of a speed date about where we are and how people should be thinking about the current environment. I, I just reviewed all of the data uh, from a scientific standpoint. So let me just start. Um, first of all, the, it's very clear the Omicron is far more contagious, two to three times more contagious than Delta. And it's spreading at the rate of chickenpox. So it's the most infectious agent uh, we've had. It is now dominating almost every region of the United States. In Florida, I know it's 95% of all isolates now are Omicron. Um, as far as so, uh, as far as the vaccine efficacy, we now know that, and I think we talked about this briefly last time, that uh, if you've had two shots of a Pfizer or Moderna, uh, and it's been over five months, you only have a 30, 30 to 33% efficacy for that vaccine. If you get the booster. It goes up to 75% to 80% efficacy. So uh, now full vaccination is uh, really three shots. Uh, and the second, the third shot should be within five months of the other two shots uh, to really achieve uh, immunity, protective immunity against Omicron. If you have that booster, you are uh, probably virtually 100% protected from severe disease and hospitalization. The... Uh, I think those are the main summary things that I want. Oh, the other, the third thing is uh, the severity of disease. I think everyone now conc- has concluded that the Omicron is less severe, predominantly because it's less likely to spread to the lungs and cause hypoxia or, AR, or acute respiratory distress syndrome. Therefore, most of the hospital admissions are ending up on the general medical floors rather than the intensive care units. But as the numbers continue to climb, uh, even though a smaller percent will get severe pneumonia, when you have that many cases, for instance, uh, um, uh, Delta, possibly approximately 10% got severe pneumonia, um, and it's probably more in the order of of 1% to 0.5%. But if you have four times as many infections, then you're talking about 4% or or 2% rather than 0.5% or 1%. So the numbers are much larger when it comes to being infected. The severity of the disease is, uh, tends to be less severe. And before I turn to uh, Bill, Fred, I'm, I'm hearing in your statement um, a, a new definition of what it means to be fully vaccinated. Is that correct? Yes, I, I think anyone that's had uh, the two shots uh, it's beyond, they, they've set a, a, a time limit of five months. After five months, your immunity has waned sufficiently that you are uh, quite susceptible to the Omicron. 
What's interesting is that for whatever reason, the um, CDC has not changed the definition of full vac fully vaccinated. However, for all intents and purposes, they have because they've they say that for things like quarantine, the if you have not been boosted and you are eligible for a booster, then you're the same category as someone who has not been vaccinated at all. So yes, I agree that if for all intents and purposes, fully vaccinated today means having a booster. And if you are somebody who has um, a very high risk or immunocompromised, um, then to be fully vaccinated, you really need four shots. The other thing I think that is interesting is, is just going back to what Fred said, that two to three times the infectiousness that's based on the data that we're seeing. However, the data that we're seeing is probably only picking up a, a fraction of the actual cases. Because with earlier strains, when someone had symptoms, they went and got tested. I mean, that was, that was what you did. But with Omicron, because it's the, the symptoms are so much more minor, more like a cold for most, certainly not all, but for most people, Many people are either just saying, yeah, okay, I got it. I'll, I'll do what I need to do, but I've, I've got it. Or they're doing a home test, which never then gets reported into the system. So the numbers that we are seeing probably only represent a fraction. And the real infect, infectiousness could be as high as, as six or seven times that of Delta, which would be consistent with what uh, clinically what people are seeing um, in, in their, their actual clinics. An interesting um, statistic coming out of the United Kingdom is that the, the uh, National Statistics Office, working with the National Health Service in England specifically, believes that one in 15 English have had COVID through the holiday period, which they didn't specifically define, but generally the last couple of weeks of the year. And that was up to a high of one in 10, not one in 10 people that have had COVID, one in 10 people that actively have COVID over the course of the last couple of weeks of the year. And then Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City estimates the same for New York City. One in 10 people over the holiday period at the end of the year were actively uh, infected with co with Omicron. A, a couple of other interesting points. Um, as Fred said, CDC, if we can trust their data, but I think people are feeling like now we can on this one, they're saying that 95% of all COVID, of all SARS-CoV-2 infections in the U.S. are Omicron. Uh, the mountain states may be a little bit behind, but other than that, Everybody is consistently um, in the, the mid to upper 90s levels. Um, the other thing that's, that is interesting, and Fred, I'd love your comment on this, is that the early data is showing that Omicron does effectively raise level of neutralizing antibodies, not only against Omicron, but also against Delta. So in some ways, Omicron is acting like a natural immunization against SARS-CoV-2, not just against Omicron. So, Bill, can I just uh, jump in because uh, you highlighted the fact that the CDC guidelines of, of what it means to be fully vaccinated. I'm hearing from both uh, you and Fred that um, uh, enterprises that are thinking about back to work and keeping their people safe um, probably applies, you know, no less to 
our public institutions and schools, that um, to be considered fully vaccinated, you really do need, irrespective of where the federal guidelines are right now, to be fully uh, vaccinated means to be boosted, uh, depending upon when you completed the first round of vaccines. There's also uh, a fair amount of confusion, at least I'm seeing it in the marketplace, around what people should be doing if they do test positive. And maybe we'll get into the issues around the efficacy, accuracy, and availability of these tests. But to the extent that people have tested positive, is it five days, is it 10 days? What guidance can you guys give us in terms of how people should um, respond when they know that they have contracted COVID broadly? Timeline on this is that last last Monday, C- CDC put out a press release in which they changed the quarantine and isolation guidelines. So if you have been exposed or if you have COVID, to five days from what had been um, seven with a test if you were exposed and ten if you actually had COVID. So they changed both to five days. Um, I, I facetiously say, yeah, they were following the science on that, the political science. Um, I, I'm uncomfortable with five days. I think that that I, I'm comfortable that yes, Omicron is does act much faster and clear much faster than earlier variants did. But I think five days is right at the edge with no padding whatsoever. Much of this was done because certain um, critical industries, such as healthcare, were running out of people. And so they needed to shorten it to get people back. But I'm I'm personally, the, the organizations that I'm working with, I'm telling them that I'm still uncomfortable with five days, that I think that what I recommend to them is that seven days is probably for is probably a better way to go for now. Maybe we'll change it when we get a little more data in, but I'm just, I think five is too short. Fred, what do you think? Well, I found, uh, I saw a graph from, um, it was uh, one of the news channels uh, from the NIH showing that uh, at five days, about 20% continue to have a positive antigen test. So what they're doing is they're, uh, it's really a risk-benefit ratio. Um, they're feeling that for the 20%, um, they don't want the other 80% staying out of work when there's an acute shortage, particularly in the healthcare industry. So that was their judgment. Um, the and the, but the proviso is that when you come back, you wear an N95 or equivalent mask for the next five days, which which would theoretically, if both everyone in the the space is wearing an N95 mask, that should be protective, even if they are still trailing off with a significant amount of virus. Um, so I, I it's really a, a it's it's a value based question. I think. You, hopefully they're going to give us this data in a public form very soon so we each business can make a judgment as to what their, the risk-benefit is and whether they want to take that risk. And, that, and it's important to talk to your employees about what they want to do and what risk they want to take as well. Um, the good news is if you're vaccinated, you know, you're only going to get a mild disease um, if you're unvaccinated, the jury is still out. You could get uh, severe disease. 
So they, those in the workplace that are unvaccinated, I think would be very worried if everybody comes back in five days. We in medicine, we keep saying mild disease. Define it, we're basically defining mild as you don't need to be hospitalized because I've talked to a lot of patients um, just in the last week that they said, you know, doc, you told me this was gonna be mild. I felt like someone hit me with a sledgehammer. Um, so there's people are still pretty sick that get it, not, not short of breath sick that they need to go to the hospital, but you can still feel pretty bad even if you've been immunized with this. So this is not something, you do not wanna go have a chicken pox party and get this to get it over with. No, I agree. And, and there's a certain percent, we don't know what percent uh, could get severe pneumonia. We've seen some pneumonias in, in our hospital. They have tended to be milder and only needed a little bit of oxygen. Very different than the original where you had to have high flow oxygen for a prolonged period or ventil uh, mechanical ventilation. That's not occurring as often. But can I maybe put this uh, in context because we have decision makers who are trying to figure out how to protect their people, how to maintain continuity of their operations, whether they're on the federal or state side or in the private sector. And so a lot of what you're describing feels or sounds synonymous with, you know, what happens to, during the flu season, where you have people who do require hospitalization and do require oxygen and who do have some, you know, uh, feel like they've been you know, hit hard in the stomach, but you also have people who, you know, are, have less severe conditions, um, possibly because of the vaccination. And I know, well, prior to getting on the podcast with you, uh, you guys were citing some statistics from a, uh, or some, put it this way, a, a commentary from uh, a leading physician or a group from Mount Sinai Hospital that speculated that you know, basically the number of instances of COVID have far exceeded any reported statistics and in large part because of the mild symptoms that have been associated with it. And I guess in large part correlated to people who are in fact fully vac vaccinated. So how, how do you begin to maybe allow people to look at this through a rational lens, cost, benefit, sensitive to you know, their, peop their various, uh, the people that they work with, and obviously trying to minimize um, significant consequences. Uh, we're hesitating a bit because it's a, it's a tough question. That's what we're, everyone's trying to wrestle with right now. On one hand, it, it, in some ways it, it is like the flu season. And I, I say to people sometimes is, you know, if you would if you would not close down your business, you would not tell or close down your offices uh, during flu season. Why are you doing it now? So it's but it's not just about the the science of it. There is a lot of it is of the the public perception, the workforce perception of it. Um, you, you know, right now, yeah, your chance of of severe illness with COVID nineteen is probably not if you're vaccinated is probably not significantly worse than your your chance of severe illness with flu during a typical flu season but that doesn't mean you want to get it and and it is so prevalent i mean you talk to anybody and they can just rattle off a list of their friends who have had covid in the last couple of weeks um people just are are nervous they're scared about it um 
but does that mean you need to shut down your offices over that? No, you need to pl you need to take the Swiss cheese approach to protection. You're making sure that I, I think only having vaccinated people in the office, moving towards only having vaccinated and boosted people. Um, in the office, making sure that you have good ventilation systems in, the, in going in your office, um, considering some type of screening program. I don't think that a screening testing program is really is real effective, but at least screening for symptoms before people come into the office. And then also doing what you can to decrease the density of people in offices. Um, you know, having some people work from home, but you can still let people in, but you don't want to have people cheek to jowl in your offices as many kind of cubicle farms are. If you, if you do these things, yes, you can still, even with where we are right now with COVID, you can still bring, bring people that need to be in office settings, you can bring them in safely. But are you going to do that without having any transmission? No, you're still going to have some transmission. And I think that we're just going to get to a point where we acknowledge that there will be some transmission of disease. The people who are at risk need to make sure that we're that they are protected themselves and we're doing what we can to protect them. But we're not going to be perfect. Uh, I, Bill, I, I completely agree with you. I think that was an excellent summary. I, I really can't add anything. I think that's exactly the approach we need to take at this point. I know, Fred, you, you and Bill have some thoughts about um, mask wearing. Uh, I don't want to touch the proverbial third rail. And by the way, Bill, I love that uh, that expression about following the science. So let's let's avoid the political science. But in terms of uh, people who are open to wearing masks or are living in jurisdictions where there are mask mandates, uh, I know you have some thoughts about what that means and which masks are you know, actually do provide protection. So I'd love if you could share that with the audience. Um, yeah, I can start on this one. Uh, the This virus is the most infectious, probably because it is capable of uh, small droplets, small aerosols, very small particles under five microns are infectious. So they float in the air, they stay in the air, and a routine, a cloth mask, has very little effect on reducing, uh, either from the, the, if someone who is infected wears it and someone who is uninfected wears it, if they both wear them. Um, the estimate is that if you're in a room together, uh, you've got about 20 minutes before that uninfected person will become infected. So from an office standpoint, that's not going to work. Similarly, surgical masks uh, will lengthen the time you can be in a room uh, approximately to to one to two hours. Again, not particularly effective. It turns out that the really the only way that you get an effective uh, a reduction in, in the number, the amount of aerosol and infectious particles is for both individuals to wear N95 or K95 or one of the equivalents. Uh, and then if both people uh, wear masks, the estimate is you, you won't get infected for 20 to 25 hours. So that's a realistic uh, for an office. Um, and so if you got individual rooms, if someone's alone and got the door closed, they probably could temporarily take off their mask. But if there are other people in the room, you really need to wear a mask the entire time. And then the big issue to me is eating. 
meals. And uh, that is a very dangerous uh, setup because when you um, take off your mask and eat, then you're at very, very high risk. So uh, if you're going to eat, eat very, just eat very quickly, two or three minutes, eat away from everybody else. Ideally, you should try to go outside to eat or go in a separate room where no one else is in at the time to eat because that is the riskiest, eating and drinking is the riskiest time from the standpoint of uh, contracting an infection. And just to address what CDC specifically defines as they say you must wear a well-fitting mask. They don't specifically say an N95, but then they go into their definition of what a well-fitting mask is. And the first line is, if you can see through the mask, it's not it's not a good mask for a cloth mask. I, I that was just a somewhat bizarre way to define a good mask to me because every all masks let light come through. Um, if air is going to get through, a little bit of light is going to come through. I guess they mean they don't want you to be able to. I, I, it's just a straight. I, I don't know what they mean exactly. But the bottom line is that N95s are the best, but the KN95s are good. And CB, our Customs and Border Protection is doing a good job of keeping, keeping the counterfeit KN95s out now. Um, the KF94s, which is the Korean equivalent of the KN95s, are also very good. And then there's the European um, designation, which I apologize, I can't remember that designation off the top of my head. They're not generally as available in the United States. But the, the most available are the KN95s and the KF94s. Either of those are good. Um, the There is some reasonable data that combining a cloth, a three-layer cloth mask, three layers being an outer and an inner layer of a natural fabric with an with a an outer with a middle layer of a non-woven artificial fabric and then covering that with a uh, surgical mask can work almost as well as a KN95 or a KF94 or an N95 um, because it has to do with the electrostatic properties of the masks together, um, but it looks silly as hell and people don't like wearing the two masks. Um, the the KF94s and the KN95s are generally available, but they're difficult to find, but they are generally available and you can use them for up to a week generally as long as they're not getting soiled. We'll be addressing uh, some of the questions that have come up around the efficacy, uh, availability of uh, various tests uh, next week. But in closing, I, I want to at least get 60 seconds from each of you in terms of what advice you'd give people as we go forward in the next week. And there have been reports that possibly uh, Omicron is uh, dissipating but still people have to be very much on their guard. And if you're going to reduce uh, the advice to uh, your loved ones, your fellow employees, what would you be telling them? I'm telling people to expect that we've got a tough two-week, at least, not whole to get through. Remember what I've said earlier on, that this is not, you can't look at this as a pandemic, but you've got to look at it as a series of regionally linked epidemics. Different areas are going to come through this at a different time. Um, but the areas that have been the hardest hit, New York, for example, um, I think in the next two weeks, this is the knothole that they're going to be getting getting through. And then I think there's pretty, there's, there is good reason to believe, uh, I don't want to say hope because hope is not a strategy, but there is good reason to believe that we may come down precipitously even 
in the early to mid mid part of February. Yeah, I would agree uh, with Bill. Um, it's uh, it, we're still in, in Florida. We're we're just beginning the big peak. Uh, New York is probably a week a uh, week and a half ahead of us, but it's it's going to come up very very fast, and then it should drop very very quickly. And that's what it's done in South Africa. I think it's beginning to happen in, in uh, the United Kingdom as well. So that is our hope, and the hope is that we won't have uh, an increase in deaths and that the hospitalizations will not be so extreme as to outstrip the health system. That's our biggest concern in Florida right now. Um, there's a significant chance that we may overwhelm our health systems if we aren't very careful. All right, so uh, the advice still adheres for people to understand what fully vaccinated now means. Um, continue to have an effective mask, N95, KN95 something, somewhere. Uh, don't take, un, you know, unnecessary risks with uh, crowds and people who may not be fully vaccinated. And obviously, uh, what I've heard from you guys before is if you have pre-existing conditions uh, around your health, you have to be even more careful. And, and David, the one thing I want to add also is that um, Flu is at epidemic levels in much of the country. It's at it's at the highest level category in the New York metro area, especially at the New Jersey side. Um, so, COVID is not the only threat that's out there. And if you have not gotten a flu shot yet, you need to get you need to get your flu shot because what are they calling it now? Fluorona. Um, you don't want to be a fluorona case. <laughs> right. Bill, you're, you've got all these great expressions from the holiday season. All right, I want to thank both of you again for the, your valuable time, your insights. Look forward to catching up next week. And uh, both of you, uh, please stay safe and well. And again, thanks. Thank you, thanks, David. David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution. Visit us at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.